are you unindisposed? Yeah, oh yeah, I've been undisposed for years now. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 60 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, coming at you live from roughly an hour outside of Philly. Awesome. Uh, we also have Joe Eames. Hey there. Mary Christensen. Hey guys. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week we're going to be talking about our development environments, setups, desk, space, chairs, whatever. Really curious to see what, what you guys have and what wisdom you have to offer. Yeah, let, let's get into it. The, the first thing that I want to ask is the semi-holy war between like Windows machines and Macs and Linux machines. What are you guys all using for your development? I use Mac. I feel so lost anytime I'm on a Windows machine and sat. I only use operating systems, so the only two that I know of that are readily available are Mac and Linux. <laughs> How about you, Joe? I use both significantly. Both meaning both Windows uh, and Mac? OSX and Mac, and OSX and, Lin- and Windows. I don't use Linux. Awesome. I mostly use Macs, and, and I kind of feel the same way as, as Merrick to a certain degree. I, I used to do tech support for Windows, and I also used to be a sysadmin for Windows servers, and a lot of the tricks that you could use on the servers, you could use on the desktops. But since about Windows Vista, I've, I'm completely lost. Like, I just go into the control panel like everybody else and hope I find the right thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly Mac. I do some stuff on Linux, in fact, um, and, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit, but I've actually recently purchased a VPS in the cloud that is going to be nothing but a development environment, and I'm seriously considering moving all of my development into the cloud. Interesting. Using, like, uh, what what online editor would you use? Ace or, or what? Emac. So I'd SSH into the box, fire up Tmux, have huh. Emacs open in Tmux, and then go from there. That sounds pretty hardcore. I did it for a client. We did mostly pair programming, and so we used Tmux so that we could both connect to the session. And it was really a convenient way to go. I'm a little bit leery of it in the sense that then I don't control the machine or the data. But if all I'm using it for is code, then I have the source control manager like GitHub or something to make sure that if it disappears for any reason, I don't lose anything other than any configs. And even my configs, I commit to uh, source code repository, so... Yeah, it, it worked out pretty it, pretty well for them, and it, it's kind of nice because then I can get a nice, consistent thing. The other thing that I'm considering it for is the fact that I have a client right now that I'm working with. They're using Backbone and Marionette, but they want everything tabs instead of spaces for their indentation. And so I'm considering just setting up another user on that same box and then just tweaking Emacs config on that other user, and then I can just connect to a different team up session to work on their stuff. <laughs> it feels like a conversation you'd be having in like the 80s, you know? You can set it in your Git config as well. Oh, really? Yeah, that way if you happen to accidentally check out a file 
uh, you can have it so that when you push it, it automatically resaves it. I, I think. Wait, maybe I'm thinking of uh, new lines on Windows versus yeah, operating have, systems. It, it's a, you put in git attributes or git global config, and it's like white space auto or something like that, white space inherit. I don't know, but I'm terrified of that because I've seen it jack up multiple people's homebrew here. <laughs> oh, you can do it per project. You don't have to do it in your global. Yeah, the problem is is that Emacs doesn't give you the option of doing it in your... Uh, you can either do it globally or you can set a minor mode or something in your per file in, in the buffer, but there's not a good way of doing it per project, and so I figure if I just, you know, have my Emacs config set differently for a different user, I can just do it over there. The only problem I have with that is that if I change anything in one Emacs config, I'm going to want to change it in the other. But, but yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. I'm using uh, Ubuntu 12.10, 64-bit server, so I don't have any graphical interface on it whatsoever. And then the other thing that I'm doing with it, it I'm, I'm hosting it at DigitalOcean, and I'll put a link to all those in the show notes. Um, but DigitalOcean is, is the, the least expensive VPS I found. And it looks like they've got pretty good specs on their machines. So, and I haven't had a problem so far with them. So, I tried them out a little while ago just for their 12-hour trial. By the way, if you're ever doing a course with people, like a classroom setting kind of thing, where you got a few people, DigitalOcean is great because you can get everybody set up in like three minutes with their 12-hour trial, which is enough for you to do your lab. Uh huh. That's good to know. Yeah, the reason I think I, I like Mac OS X so much is it seems like a lot of the tooling these days. Uh, tested Mac first, and then it starts to leak into the Windows realm. We use obviously Linux for all of our continuous integration machines as well. Right. And uh, what do you use for continuous integration, if I can ask? Yeah, we have some stuff with Jenkins, and we also have Team City for other stuff. So our setup has several machines that pull from Team City. Some projects are using Jenkins, and we just have compatible agents that can build certain code. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, JetBrains is also a sponsor of the show, so shout out to them with Team City. I love Team City. So simple to set things up, so simple to update things. We have, uh, in terms of JavaScript, we have all of our JavaScript unit tests, hinting, code coverage, all of that gets pulled beautifully into Team City. Yeah, and what's funny about Team City is it seems like tools that are multi-platform work really well on the they're kind of like source platform, and then when they migrate them to the other platform, so like something that works really well on uh, Linux and OS X, you take it over to Windows, and it's kind of like a half. It's a second class citizen. Yeah. Ruby, Ruby had some problems with that, I remember. Node, I think, did something really amazing, and that's like, they, they made Windows a first class citizen, and then rolled back to yeah. supporting Linux and Unix wholeheartedly, but, and I think it really worked out well for them. Yeah, but TeamCity is one of those things that, I mean, on Windows, there was no doubt if I was going to do any CI, I'd go right to TeamCity. It was so much easier to run than anything else. And then you come over to Linux, and it's still just as great. So I, I think that's one an amazing thing about TeamCity. I just love continuous integration servers. Like I have, I have an old Mac Pro uh, tower that I turn into a continuous integration server at home <laughs> that uh, just does continuous integration for my personal projects, which is ridiculous. But I'm not integrating <laughs> with anybody, but. There's just something so cool about them. Yeah, the the machine that I'm using right now to record this is a Mac Pro. Oh, awesome. So anyway, um, back to your uh, workstations. Um, so it sounds like pretty much everybody's a Mac or sometimes Linux user. 
What what do you, what editor or IDE do you guys use to edit code? Since I already have an operating system, there's no need to use Emacs. I use Vim. <laughs> I am a former Vim user, <laughs> and I I, re, I made the switch to Emacs. For for me, it's I I don't know. A lot of people have this religious war between them, but I like them both. I can use them both. I used Vim for a long time. It just I don't know. I, I wound up using Emacs for about nine months straight and didn't really want to try and switch back. So, so I'm curious, was there any particular advantage to Emacs that you really enjoy that you that you didn't enjoy with them? Yeah, nine, nine months worth of reprogramming my muscle memory. Oh, I mean, like, but, you know, for, for those of us that, you know, maybe are like, Jack Vimmers, you know, we're not, we don't go to church every Sunday to, to the Vim synagogue, you know, but we just kind of use it. I, I think really, you know, whatever, whatever fits your workflow. I, you know, I, I don't see a major advantage of one over the other for any particular type of development. My setup is, is like totally schizophrenic and bipolar. Like I drive people crazy because I'm switching editors so much. I like certain things about different editors. When I'm doing Java, I, basically I have a hard time doing Java without an IDE. Same thing is true of Objective-C with Xcode. It's like trying to write iPhone apps outside of Xcode is, is ridiculously hard. And for text editing, like JavaScript, for the past few months I've been using MacVim uh, with Alloy's fork. It gives you a native file browser, so you don't have to use Nurtree. I mean, Nurtree is cool too, but... Uh, I like the native file browser, and uh, I've also played around a lot with Sublime Text, and Chocolate app is like the most beautiful. I, I was a long-time TextMate user, and I was like one of those people holding out for the future of TextMate, and then when it came, it felt like, I don't know, man, it, it felt so bombed and depleted, it was just so heartbreaking, and uh, Chocolate was kind of like my rebound, if you will. Like, it was that beautiful OSX editor. Uh, and the cool thing about Chocolate is the entire editor is scripted with Node.js, so you can write Chocolate extensions in JavaScript. So for JS developers, it's kind of an interesting editor. Only problem is it's been uh, relatively buggy <laughs> up to this point for me, and I'm just hoping they can they can get that together because Chocolate has so much potential. All I heard was the extensions are JavaScript, and I think I switched. <laughs> it's really cool, yeah, like UI level extensions. So they have they have like some some Cocoa bindings to Node that let you. It, I mean, it's really cool. It's really cool. Is this the online IDE? No, no, no. So no. It's, it's it's chocolate. I'm gonna put paste a link. It's okay. it's kind of like to me, like I said, it's my rebound from TextMate. I I was hoping TextMate two would be everything, and then it was like. It was like a kid who never got to meet his father, and then when he did meet his father, he's like, oh, man, why did I want to meet this guy? He's kind of a jerk, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what TextMate 2 was for me. And uh, Chocolate was the, the kind stepfather that stepped in. <laughs> so it, Chocolate is just on OSX, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally Cocoa. The, their tagline is, combines native Cocoa with powerful text editing tools. And it's just like... I'm a sucker for aesthetics. Like, I'm the kind of person who, when I download Vim, I'll, like, have to change the icon to something better that I find on Dribbble. Or I, like, won't use certain apps because they're just hideous, no matter how functional they are. Like, it's totally superficial. And, uh, but but I, I, I'm just a total sucker for aesthetics. And Chocolate is just the most beautiful app. So even though I'm way more productive at MacVim because 
I'm just more well rehearsed and practiced with with those commands. Chocolate has Vim mode, but it's exceptionally buggy. But I believe if they can get the Vim mode down pat, it would be just amazing. Yeah, that's one thing that I've seen a lot of people say about their IDE or text editor is that, gee, I wish it had bindings for key bindings for Emacs or Vim, whichever one they're uh, used to. So, so I uh, also want to give a shout out for Sublime Text because it runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. So I use it a lot when I'm doing tutorials or um, presentations just so that, you know, because not everybody wants to make the jump into Vim or Emacs because the, the learning curve is a little bit high on those. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be willing to say, yeah, I'm okay with this. Um, where Sublime Text, you know, because it's graphical, doesn't require as, as much determination to get started with. And it runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux, so it's nice to be able to use something that's going to work in multiple places. Joe, yeah. we haven't heard from you yet. What are you using? Well, for my open source development, I actually can, I use both uh, my Mac and my Windows box. So, like, for work, I just use my Mac pretty much exclusively. But when I'm doing uh, side projects or stuff, I'll go back and forth between the two boxes uh, quite a bit. So I use WebStorm just to kind of keep the... Um, experience concise plus i like webstorm is it's a really great ide i do use sublime a fair a little bit here and there but mostly just for plain text editing i'm not cool enough to take sublime and have 30 plugins to it to make it like an ide but it's not being an ide so i uh stick with webstorm in both places and uh that works out pretty well for me Nice. I've I've been using WebStorm for this project that's using Backbone and Marionette, like I said before, and I kind of like it. It's it's been a little bit easier to to reason with some of this stuff than maybe Emacs or or Vim, depending on um, what I'm looking at and being able to browse through things. But the the real reason that I'm using it is because it has a feature in here where you can select a file and say turn all of my indentation to tabs. <laughs> so. I turn it all to tabs and then I commit it. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny though because when you do that, I don't know if you, like on a large team, some people will go absolutely ape because git blame becomes irrelevant when you do like a mass reformat like that. Yeah. Does it actually uh, give me credit for changes to the whole file even if if it only changed the lines I put in? No, it wouldn't. Only the lines that it changes, right? Yeah. Uh, we had we had somebody, and I'm so happy they did this. But they did a IntelliJ like convert four spaces and tab to two spaces, and it must have been it was it was definitely over a hundred thousand lines of code. And now, when you run git blame, it's always kind of like that guy, and <laughs> <laughs> and so it's all we always love to blame him for everything. Like even though it was probably your code, you can be like, ah, oh, no, that wasn't my code. Nah, no, nah, that was e Steve's. Run git blame. Yeah, the I, I don't quite have that problem because uh, when this went through its last refactoring, the developer that did the refactoring converted everything to tabs. So it'll only it'll only reformat the stuff that I'm putting in, thankfully. But yeah, that's a good thing so, to be aware of. Uh, again, you can use um, a Git attributes file to be able to uh, run an external filter. It doesn't have the built-in tabs to spaces things, but you could run a, a filter like some sort of command that would just switch them out for you. So that I would I would think that'd probably be a good thing to to try if you're working in that kind of environment where that's important. You don't want to have that accidental hundred thousand line commit. Yeah, well, it was definitely intentional and it was beautiful. 
but it's just funny how how that occurs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. So are there any other pieces of software that you guys absolutely have to have to get good JavaScript work done? So I, you know, it's hard because I, I'm diving into the realm of like JavaScript libraries and, and tooling, but I, Grunt is a huge part of my workflow. I really like Grunt.js. Uh, Amen. It's just one, it's kind of, if you're from Ruby, it's kind of like the rake of JavaScript. I guess you could use rake with JavaScript, but I, I just love Grunt. It's kind of like one of those indispensable things. I also like Require.js. It's just a great way to, I, uh, most projects I, I start, if they're sizable enough and demand a module system, I, I really like Require.js. And then obviously test runner, like Mocha. I use Karma, so either Karma or Testum, both of those are excellent for running the unit test and also being able to run them on the continuous integration servers. So you can get meaningful reporting, which uses Istanbul. So that's where you get your code coverage. This kind of tooling, it becomes indispensable, even though it's not like software on your box, you know? And I just love Compass. I think it's just like the most amazing CSS preprocessor that exists right now. And those are kind of my staples. Obviously, Chrome. <laughs> Definitely Chrome. Where, where was JS Hint and all of that? <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually don't value hint, uh, linting as much as, as, as everyone else. I, I, think that, I think linting is awesome, and we lint all of our code, but it's not like an indispensable thing to me. It depends it, on it, how important the coding style is to you. Yeah, and I've just found that it is it is really difficult on a big team to not have people endlessly fight about coding style. And so that's why, like like I said, I try and lint all my code, but when you get to a sizable enough team, it's hard to make an objective case for certain code styles. And objective cases are usually what you need to make changes happen in an organization. Right. It can't be like, this is the current dogma of the JS community, you know, to do comma first, even though tomorrow will be whatever else. And so, because it's not uh, completely objective and you can't make a, a strong case for it, there are certain lint things that we do have on, you know, because they're actually meaningful metrics, like reduplicating variables or unused variables. We love that because it's a huge indicator of when you've deleted code, but you didn't delete all the code. So there are certain JS hint rules and properties that are, that are totally objective, and we have those enabled here at work. And I have a way more strict coding standard in my personal projects that I, that I like to lint against, but it's not, like, indispensable. Yeah. One, one tool that I want to bring up that's uh, pretty handy is Git Tower. It's a graphical interface for Git. Now, for the most part, I just use the command line, but every once in a while, if I'm dealing with a merge conflict or something, Git Tower is, is an easy way to oh, so with your merges, because sometimes, I mean, you get the you get the funky, like, less than, less than, less than head, uh, equal, 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 and, and, you know, by the time you're done, you're just like, okay, so what am I merging again? Like, what's the problem? And sometimes it's something dumb, like white space or something. And so if you have something like Git Tower or one of these others, you know, it, it really just makes things a whole lot easier to reason about. The other thing that I found is that uh, sometimes I want to do something that's not quite the, the push-pull um, commit uh, workflow that I usually use. And so I want to use a rebase or something. And if I'm doing something that I'm not completely familiar with or comfortable with, then uh, a graphical interface helps a lot with that too because then you can kind of figure out how to tell it what you want it to do and then it'll do it for you. Yeah, I, I love Git Tower. I'm so glad you said that. And it's beautiful too. 
and I, I really like Kaleidoscope for merge, actually merging. Kaleidoscope from, it used to be Sofa, but they got bought and murdered by Facebook, and then they turned in, they sold the project to some other company, but Kaleidoscope is just awesome for merges and diffing. Yeah, some of these are a little bit pricey, but uh, they give you a free trial, so check them out. Are there any other tools that you use on your Macs or Windows machines that uh, make coding JavaScript just awesome? So I'm curious about people's terminal setup because I I like the stock terminal, and I know that people all the time are using like iTerm2 or Tmux or just some other terminal emulator. Do you guys use an aftermarket terminal emulator? I use iTerm2. You do? Yeah. It gives you a whole lot more options than the Mac terminal. Yeah. And uh, some of the syntax highlighting and stuff, it just seems... Not syntax highlighting, but command line highlighting and the return results highlighting and stuff like that is a little bit better there. And, you know, I've I've already mentioned that I use Tmux, and it it just makes things a whole lot easier. The nice thing about Tmux, I've used Tmux, like, on my local machine, and it's... I can take it or leave it because I can just open another terminal window to do what I want to do. But uh, up in the cloud and stuff, it's really, really nice because what you do is you set up your windows so that they're, or your panes, I guess is what you call them. But you set them up the way that you need them and then you can just disconnect from the session and when you reconnect, you just attach back to your Tmux session and you can pick up right where you left off. That's awesome. So to that note on Tmux, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I really like this tool called Tmuxinator. And if you don't use iTerm2, I don't use iTerm2 just because I can't get over the look of it for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, to each his own, right? Yeah, it's no real reason why I don't. Just like something about it doesn't look right to me. It's just totally visceral. But Tmuxinator lets you do like workspaces, like you have an iTerm2. So you use YAML to describe like a project. So like your pains, what to do before the project starts, etc. And then you can just launch straight into a project. It'll create the Tmux session for you with all the uh, panes and tabs and commands running. Yeah. Another one that I've played with a little bit and I, I really, really dig it. It's called Oh My Z Shell or Oh My ZSH. And I, I want to get into it a little bit more, but my terminal really isn't my top priority for, you know, this kind of upgrade or whatever. But basically Z Shell is an alternative to Bash. And then Oh My Z Shell basically is a collection of a whole bunch of configurations and commands that make dealing with your uh, Z shell a whole lot easier. And um, it, it looks really cool. And I've worked with some other people, either coaching or as coworkers, where I logged into their machine where they were using it. And it looks like it's really powerful. And so if you're looking to kind of upgrade your terminal experience, I'd definitely give that a look. Yeah, and, and to that note, Bashit, if you'd prefer not to switch to Z Shell, Bashit's kind of a similar project. Oh, cool. I'll have to check this one out. I hadn't heard of it. Yeah, I, I, uh, also in terms of like tooling for my box, obviously using like NVM for node management and RBM for Ruby management, et cetera. And then Homebrew for a package manager. Like the first thing I always do when I get a new machine, because it's kind of the foundation, is get Xcode and the compilers installed and then installing Homebrew because from there you can kind of install anything in a consistent way. Yeah, Homebrew is is definitely a, a must for me. On my laptop, I actually have Mac ports and Homebrew installed, and that's a headache, so don't do that. <laughs> it sounds um, such a tearful road. It, it, it is. Well, I started out with uh, Mac ports, 
because, you know, back when I initially got my Mac, that was what everybody was talking about. Yep. And then uh, things kind of moved to Homebrew. And um, anyway, so I wound up installing Homebrew on there, and I sort of crippled Mac ports. And um, anyway, I've, I've been try- I've uninstalled Mac ports off of that machine like five times, and it's still there. So, I mean, their their whole process is broken. But it is a handy way to get some things, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bash them too hard because it is a handy tool. But if you're gonna if you're looking for a package manager for OS X, Homebrew is definitely the way to go. Yeah, yeah, Homebrew is indispensable. I love it. Yeah. As it, far as far as databases go, I, I used to install Postgres through Homebrew, and that's what made me think of this. But anymore, you can get away with using Postgres.app, and uh, it's actually just, you just manage it like any other apps. You just turn it on when you need a database on your dev machine, and then when you're done, you just stop it. Plus, it has just a beautiful icon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a sucker for aesthetics. And then, uh, in this, I, I just switched to Google Music yesterday, but... Having like audio or Google Music or something that's like streaming music is something that I actually like have to have. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. So, um, do you guys listen to music while you do your dev? Yes, totally. So I have to ask, what what type of music? Maybe you can name a few bands or something or albums that people should go check out. So I could, I could start. I feel like I've talked most this episode, but I I uh, when I really want to buckle down and focus, I'll listen to like post rock music, like. Like explosions in the sky, or Sigaros, or Album Leaf, but for the most part, when I'm just kind of casually working, it's just it's like you know, I, I think I've picked a musician almost every pick at the end of this thing, <laughs> and so it's it's pretty ride from like acoustic to to hip hop or whatever. I, I I really like words. Nice. How about you, Joe? I listen to a lot of Christian rock. But when I get like really intense and need to really focus, I find that it's it all distracting. I'll switch over to. Lately, I've been li- just kind of instrumental stuff. Lately, I've been listening to the on Spotify. I open up a Star Wars all up all the episodes in a playlist and just randomly go through songs. Oh, Is that, that ultimately geeky or what? That that sounds awesome. To be perfectly honest, it's anti hipster, but it's pretty geeky. <laughs> so I. I've mentioned this before, but there's Overclock Remix, and I'm kind of ADD, so I like I I really like listening to music while I'm working because it kind of like distracts that part of my brain that needs a distraction so that the other part of my brain can focus. And um, I like Overclock Remix because it's video game music, so it's just there's no words, there's nothing to like distract the logical part of my brain. It just kind of like envelops the abstract part of my brain and lets the rest go to work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I found that. So I, I kind of do this. Whenever I say this, people are like, oh, no, you can't possibly work that way. But a lot of times when I'm working, I'll have podcasts playing. And so what? I'll just, yeah. Hard, man. And, That's so, hard. and so I'll just sit here and uh, I'll listen to the podcasts and, and write my code. Sometimes it does get distracting, and so I'll just stop it. But uh, most of the time, I just have a podcast going. Every once in a while, I am in the mood for just some music. And like you guys, and oddly enough, since I listen to podcasts all the time, I can't listen to music that has words to it while I'm trying to focus. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, my brain is broken. Anyway, so what I wind up doing is I'll either go with classical music, 
And there's a terrific collection of 100 classical pieces on uh, iTunes that you can get, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. The other one that I've, I've kind of gotten into is uh, Joe Satriani. And I don't know if I said his name right. Beautiful guitar. Yeah, yeah great stuff. And then um, there's another one that I've listened to, and I'm trying to remember what his name is. I'm actually looking at my music collection here. But uh, anyway, there's you know there there's some terrific stuff that you can listen to. I have a whole bunch of like Disney music too, and I I can't listen to any of that while I'm working. So, <laughs> so uh, speaking of listening to odd things while working, uh, sometimes I'll listen to a soccer game while I'm working because it's there's even though I love soccer, there's you can go a long time before anything important happens in a soccer game. So it's like background. It's almost like white noise. And then when you hear the the guy get more excited. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, better better flip the tab. Yeah, it only happens like two or three times a game, so it's it's all good, right? If you want to yeah. keep up on your EPL, but you don't have time to just sit down and watch the game, you just throw it in the background and then get to watch the goals, and that's it. Um, the other funny thing um, that uh, I'd like to listen to is open up uh, Arrested Development in Netflix in a background tab and just listen to it because it's hilarious. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, I was I to comedians sometimes too, like Louis C.K. or something. So I was really surprised to hear that Merrick doesn't know about this, but there's a website called Orgasm, and it's A-U-R as in oral, and it's oh. done done by Paul Irish, where he goes out and finds eclectic music and brings it, you know, talks about it or whatever. I've actually never been there, I just heard about it. I thought Merrick would be like all up in its grill, but apparently he hasn't uh, found this... So I'm gonna. I pick. don't. I don't want to have the interaction with HR when they're like, "Hey, we know you've been going to aurgasm.com." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's those new triple X domains now, right? Getting testacular at work was hard enough. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> awesome. So, uh, do you have like special headphones that you like to listen on, or I guess you can't do a speaker in the office, so. Quiet comfort. I love those things. I love those things. And I also have to give a shout out to the the performance uh, revolution mouse, the performance MX from Logitech. I, I've had like all the iterations of that mouse. I just love that mouse. I really wanted to pick me up a pair of those Bose. Uh, what do you call them? Quiet comfort. Quiet comfort headphones. But I couldn't find a time machine that would take me back in time to when I was single and had no kids. So <laughs> <laughs> they are expensive. That's true. What the headphones or kids? The answer is yes. yes. So I've got um, some ultrasomes, and the thing that I like about them is the sound is really roomy. Like, it doesn't feel like the sound is right there in your ear. It sounds like it's further away. So, and they, uh, they supposedly protect you from, from loudness a little bit. Like, they're, the way that they project the sound is supposed to be able to give you that feeling that it's louder without actually putting decibels into destroying your eardrums. Huh. Yeah, I when I'm listening, I'm usually either listening on my uh, earbuds on my iPhone, or I also have this. It's the Blue Sync OR3, which is a Bluetooth speaker, because I, I work at home in an office, and it's in one of the bedrooms in the house. So you know, something like this works well. I actually just bought my wife a Jambox, which is another Bluetooth speaker. Um, she listens to audiobooks a lot, and so um, is that from Jawbone? Yes, 
those guys are doing such cool stuff. Like, they have such a cool look. It's so, like, stark, you know? Well, and but the other thing is, is, is it Jawbone that makes it? Anyway, they just sound terrific. They sound so good. They yeah. just look amazing, too. Yeah, they look they look great. So I got her one of the little round ones. I guess they have another jam box that looks more like their uh, uh, earpiece and stuff. But yeah, they're they're great. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention something that's like totally obvious to everybody, but GitHub is becoming like way more invaluable because I'll just make private gifs and share them with people all the time to discuss questions or work around ideas and iterate on them. Like, and then that doesn't count all the learning ability that I. I mean, I. I honestly feel so blessed to live in a time where I can upload code to something like GitHub and just be totally educated and, and made an idiot because that's like, it's just amazing the amount of education you can get by just perusing GitHub and trying to be involved. Yeah, it is. It's pretty awesome. And and they're they're always coming up with new stuff. Oh, yeah. Th- those guys, I want to, I would love it if they did. I know they do a little bit, but I would love it if they did even more discussion about their development process because they iterate so much and their, their uptime is, you know, pretty good. I- I'm just curious how they're producing so many features, uh, even as they scale up, because usually as a company gets bigger, they produce less, sadly. Like, it's this weird paradox that I've seen. And GitHub just seems to keep cranking, and I want to know how. Yeah, well, I I know that some of it is that they let their developers do more or less whatever they want, as long as it's, you know, in the best interests of the company, and I I think that kind of freedom and stuff does well, but I I agree, you know, it'd be be awesome to go, like, sit in their office for a week and just see how it goes. Exactly. What what kind of desks or chairs do you guys have? Do do those make much of a difference for you in your your setup? Merrick sits on a stool. (laughs) No, actually, I did buy a chair recently that I love. The, the, everyone else go first, because I'm going to have to try and see if I can't find this in my history. I definitely have to have the table and the chair at the right height. Because I'm really tall, I think I'm always compromising and never quite sitting the way that I want to. But I definitely know that if that height ratio is off by just an inch or two, my wrist will start to hurt really bad after a few days. So what kind of what kind of desk and chair do you get, or do you just get cinder blocks and stuff and move them Actually, around? you know what works best for me? My favorite position is actually just to lay down on the couch and code with the laptop in my lap and my head kind of like, well, not resting on the armrest, but kind of like have my back propped up a little bit. That is my my least painful position for sure. I I generally don't like working at a desk if I have the option of working on a couch. So, I found that order. It's the Mira Chair by Herman, or Mira, I don't know, Mira Chair by Herman Miller, and it's totally, I love it. It's it's awesome. It's my home office chair, and it's just, it's terrific. Did you pay that for it? I absolutely did. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Uh, but but it's, it's totally awesome. Totally worth it. Nice. It looks a lot like mine, probably because my chair is a Herman Miller Aeron. Oh, nice. And, oh my gosh, I, I cannot even tell you. Of course, um, what convinced my wife to let me buy it was uh, the, my, the chair that she had bought me for Christmas like the year before or something, whenever she got it, um, which was like a $100 chair from Office Max. It broke, and it broke while I was sitting in it, and so it totally dumped me on the floor on my back, and it was just totally busted because it was one of those that has the cheap armrests that screw into the base and then into the back. 
and then uh, because there's a hole there, it creates a weak spot. And uh, yeah, it, it broke. But uh, this is it. It's been awesome. And the thing is, is they come with like a 20 year warranty or something, something crazy like that. And so you know, you make sure you register the chair with uh, Herman Miller. And oh my gosh, I love this thing. I also bought the headrest for it, and that's that's really nice too. So I can prop. Like style what was that looks like Stephen Hawking style it's awesome yeah I can it it sticks out enough to where I can totally like prop my head up and so I'm I'm pretty well relaxed um, sitting in it the other thing that I got and I'm gonna have to look it up but I have a little footrest it's a, it's a little Ottoman footrest it cost me like 15 bucks I think on Amazon and it it totally collapses and you can just put it away but uh, so I prop my feet up and everything while I'm coding. So my feet are propped up. I'm leaning back in my uh, Aeron. I've got my headrest, you know, putting my head kind of at a comfortable, but you know, right angle for seeing this. And uh, it's it's terrific. Guys, I think I got everything that you got with the couch. <laughs> Almost. I I have one more thing that I want to share, and that is that I've got these. I spent about $150 a piece on the arms that hold my monitors up. And so I can adjust them to any, well, not any height, but within a few feet. I can adjust them to any height, any position. Um, you can basically turn them facing all the way down or all the way up so that they're, you know, they're, they're basically flat. And uh, that's made a lot of difference, too, because then I can adjust it and put my monitors wherever I want them so that I can get the development done. And so... That's really nice. I'll put a link to those in the show notes too. I just have to find them on Amazon. And lastly, my laptop bag is like one of my most favorite things that I have. It's from Saddleback Leather. It's like this satchel. Originally, I got it because it makes me look like Indiana Jones. And it makes him look like a boss. Yeah, I'm like, not even kidding. I love his satchel. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. thought about stealing it, <laughs> then you'd know who had it when you saw it next. Yeah, I, I like it. It's it's just a cool cool leather satchel. I, I'm I'm a fan of looking like Indiana Jones. I strive to get that appearance. Yeah, um, mine is. I'm trying to remember because mine actually is made by a luggage company, and so it gets uh, classified with the luggage companies. I've heard a lot of good things about Saddleback Leather though, and I love the stuff that they come out with. It looks terrific. But mine is Samsonite or something. I'm trying to find the, the marking on it. But anyway, I actually had to look to find it because um, a friend of mine had one, and I really liked his. But uh, anyway, I'll fi I'll figure out where, where to get it. But it's got like a million pockets on it, and uh, it has two pouches, one for your laptop and one for everything else. And it, it's really nice. I really like it. So I'll put a link to that too. But dang, Merrick, I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like it. I... Like I said, I'm a sucker for aesthetics, though. Yeah, it looks nice. Uh, speaking of which, are, are there any things that you that you take with you when you travel that, that make development a little bit easier? So I know Joe travels a little bit for speaking and stuff. Um, my Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't necessarily really have anything that I use. I travel a lot between work and home, and that's basically my same setup other than I have another bag that has some clothes in it. So uh, my backpack that I use to carry my laptop has everything in it already. So if you go to work at the coffee shop or anything, there's nothing special you take with you? Exactly. I'm, I'm set up to work anywhere. So I want to make 
this isn't a travel one, so totally ignore this if it's something you don't care about. But I really, really like Vagrant to spin up virtual machines and to run virtual machines in VMware Fusion. So those two things are wonderful. I really like provisioning local virtual machines uh, with Puppet or Chef because then the, the virtual machine and what it takes to run a project is actually version controlled with the code. So if, if older code in the project runs on an older version of uh, Java's Node or, or Ruby or whatever, you know, it gets versioned with the code, but you can also use those same provisioning scripts to set up your continuous integration servers and your, your deployment servers if you're hardcore enough. But it's just, it, it, it makes working on big teams wonderful. Uh, or at least it's a little bit easier than trying to have a readme and everybody installs things their own uh, crazy ways. So are you using Vagrant with VMware Fusion or with VirtualBox? For free, you can use it with VirtualBox. And then they have a paid VMware Fusion license. Um, it, it comes back to the aesthetic, so I'm totally sounding superficial, but VirtualBox is just hideous to me. So I actually paid for the VMware Fusion. <laughs> nice. But VirtualBox works really well, and they've got snapshot features that are better than Parallels or VMware. Yeah, I have to say that I really like Parallels, but uh, I haven't seen the latest version, and the version that I had doesn't work on um, Mountain Lion, so I either have to pay yeah, to upgrade that, that, or get something else. That's what I hate about Parallels, is like you can't just buy a version and have it work. Like you, Anytime a new Ubuntu comes out, you have to buy the new Parallels. Anytime the new OS X comes out, you got to buy the new Parallels. So like you have to buy it for your host operating system as well as for your guest operating system every time either one of them changes. And that just like... That killed me. I, I, that turned me off. Yeah, the trick is to is to work for a company that values good software enough to pay for those upgrades for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, that, I, I work it's for just ridiculous. It's 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 too much of a hassle for me to have to upgrade to get my work done. I mean, like I hate the virtual box. Like every single time I open it, is like there's a new upgrade, but it doesn't like stop me from being able to get work done to force me to do the upgrade. That's that's not worth money to to pay for a product that does that to you. I think you're making one of those crazy assumptions again, with all due respect, kind of like the jQuery assumption. <laughs> you're never going to live that down, AJ. You're just making it sound like, like <laughs> the project invalidates itself when an update is launched. That's just simply not true. Yeah, well, it is obnoxious that VirtualBox, every time I open it up, it's like, there's a new version, but it is nice that I can just click it away. And done. But, but yeah, I totally see what you're saying. I mean, the interface looks like it it's 20 years old and starting to rust. So, um, One other thing that I really like when I'm out, like if I'm working in a coffee shop or something, or if I'm traveling, is my little Anchor uh, battery backup. It It's just so handy to have. I mean, whenever I'm going anywhere, it's just it's one of those things where I can just plug it in and it charges my phone up within like a half hour. And, I mean, that's it. It's It's so awesome. Yeah, that's so nice. That sounds really cool. I need to get me one for sure. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. One one other thing when I'm traveling, and, and this is something that I bought recently and I tried out when we went to Denver this last weekend. It's a D-Link SharePort Go mobile companion. Um, so basically what you do is you, you can plug it in and it, it'll charge uh, charge up so it's got a battery in it. And then you can either plug an Ethernet cable into it or you can tell it to use another Wi-Fi as its source. And then all of my devices are set up to have this Wi-Fi in their preferred list. 
And so it takes up one IP address on the wireless. So if you're only li limited to one, if you're in a hotel that only lets you connect one device, things like that, you connect this device and then you connect all your other devices to it. The other thing is, is you can set it up to use a, a VPN or encrypt the data that it's sending back. And so if you're on an open Wi-Fi, then you can use this to kind of secure things up so that you're not sending stuff in the clear across the open Wi-Fi. That's cool. That's really cool. But other than that, I mean, traveling, yeah, I just take take the stuff that I usually take with me anyway. And then obviously Chrome Developer Tools. Hard to forget that one. Yeah. Oh, man. How do yeah. we live without Chrome Developer Tools? Yeah. yeah Firebug back in the olden days. I remember that. And uh, Firebug works okay if you have to do stuff in, in Firefox. So. Ouch. If you have to do stuff in Firefox. Not that anyone would want to. But if you have to... <laughs> I've just gotten so Ooh. used to Chrome, and I've got all Ow. the plugins I want in it. But yeah, but yeah, that's sort of how I feel. Yeah, ultimately I've learned that people are just productive in whatever their own individual setup is. Like, it's so much more subjective than uh, the, the holy wars try to make it seem. Yeah, in a lot of cases, one isn't necessarily better than the other. It just fits better into the, exactly. those folks' workflow, yeah. So... Yeah, the only other software that I really want to mention is uh, the, the software that I use to sort of uh, get stuff done and keep up with my social media. And so that's TweetBot and um, OmniFocus are the other two that I use. So explain OmniFocus. Like, yeah, it, it seems like something that's awesome, but it's, it's just a little expensive. And so I've always wondered how I could justify the cost. Like, what do you do with it? So... I mean, it's set up sort of around uh, GTD, get things, getting things done, which is the, the book. And so you have projects, you have contexts, and then you have tasks that you put into both. So then you can look at things in the context of work. You can look at things related to a specific project. Um, you can also, it's got plugins so that you can pull in like web pages if you're on your desktop anyway. You can also uh, pull in emails. So you can put emails into your to-do list. So um, I do that sometimes if I need to reply to an email, things like that. But um, the the real the real handy thing for me beyond that is that it has its own syncing service, and then I can sync it to my phone or my iPod or my iPad. And so when I'm when I'm out and about and something comes up, then I can just put it put it in. Or if I think about it, I always have my phone with me, so I can just add a task to OmniFocus, and then it'll show up on my desktop. And then in particular with running my business. Um, a lot of times then I can come in, I have a prioritized list of the projects I'm working on, and so I can go and see what the next steps are on the top couple of priorities and decide what I need to do next. I like that. So it, it works out really, really well. Um, another one that I've used that uh, if you're collaborating with people, it's called Asana, A-S-A-N-A dot com, and that's strictly online, and so that's both the blessing and the curse. Is that it's available everywhere, but you have to get online to or get on open a browser to use it. And with OmniFocus, the nice thing is, is that it's just on all of my devices, so uh, it's with me everywhere anyway. And uh, it, that all works out real well. The other thing is with OmniFocus is that it gives you one context that's normal, that's part of GTD, and that is waiting. So if you're sitting around waiting for some something, like if you're at the doctor's office or if you're waiting in the carpool line to pick up your kids from school and you've got 10 minutes, um, you can pull up that context and then you can say, oh, well, I needed to call so-and-so or I needed to send this email off. And so, yeah, you're punching it in with your thumbs on your 
phone, but you're getting crap done while you would otherwise just be sitting there waiting for something to happen. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I really like Trello for collaboration, too. Yeah. It's like a Kanban board. Yeah, and, and again, it all depends on, you know, what works for you and what, what you will use. The, the thing about the collaboration that I like about Asana and some of these other ones, Trello or whatever, is that it's really easy for people to use, and usually the hardest part of any of these systems is to get people to use them. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's not whether or not they can get the stuff done in it. Most of them are functional that way. It's, okay, well, can I get somebody to use it? And Asana is pretty user-friendly, and it's pretty, so... It's gorgeous. Anyway. It's absolutely gorgeous, yeah. So anyway, that that's kind of where I'm at there. But uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, it's just my phone and you know a few websites that I know where to get stuff. And you've heard pretty much everything I use. Is is there anything else that you guys want to add, Joe, AJ? I, I know Merrick and I have talked a lot. So I, um, when we we're talking about satchels and whatnot, I failed to mention my deep and um, abiding love for the Blue Novell laptop bag. I don't believe it's available at any retailer, but if you've got some extra that you'd like to send to me, I will take them. <laughs> nice. I, I had a red Novell bag, and I upgraded to the one I have. Is it? Do you have the gray one now, or do you have the blue one? I, I had one that had gray, and I think it had red lettering on it. But I, I think I, I think I threw it away or gave it away. Okay. Yeah, I. I had the gray one at first, and I switched over to the blue one, and I wore it slam out until the zipper, you know, started breaking and the threads were coming undone at the seams. And and then uh, at uh, Open West, somebody was gracious enough to dig one out of their closet and give it to me. So I'm looking to get another one because I bet this will only last me three or four years. <laughs> but maybe I'll upgrade to a real satchel by then. <laughs> nice big leather one that's bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. Like Merrick's. I have to tell you, Merrick, that one is gorgeous. Oh my it's, gosh. They give you a lifetime warranty on it too. So Yeah, I've heard that about Saddleback. Yeah, it's one of those lifetime lifetime bags. I'm hoping my my grandchildren will cherish it rather than sell it on eBay or whatever eBay is. <laughs> yeah, so is it is it lifetime you can pass it down to your kids or is it lifetime until you pick the bucket? Exactly, until I die and then they put it on eBay. Or is it lifetime as in for the life of the product, because those are the weirdest warranties, okay? When it's like, this product is guaranteed to last for the lifetime of the product. <laughs> when the product breaks, it's no longer under warranty? That's awesome. I'm going to have to write a guarantee like that. Make it sound terrific, but it really isn't. <laughs> for the lifetime of Seriously, the Seriously, pick up a cheap pair of headphones at Walmart and look at the warranty for them. Uh, speaking of which, I actually went and bought my the headphones that came with my iPhone. They were actually um, shorting out in a way to where it was skipping ahead 15 seconds when I was listening to a podcast. And so I stopped at Best Buy and I bought the headphones. I've had these headphones for less than a year that came with my iPhone. And so they're like, do you want a two-year warranty on those headphones? And I'm like, uh-huh, because I know I'm going to kill them. Yeah, so so I lied. It's not like them. It's 100 years, 100-year warranty. Oh, there you go. And they have all awesome videos of sharks and alligators eating the bags, and then the bags are just totally okay afterwards. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. I'm really worried my bag might get eaten by a shark. Oh, so like, like they I have get? this picture of a elephant stepping on it. <laughs> well, I think my bag would handle that. Just, I know. It's just so funny. Like, <laughs> I've, I've heard the guy that started that company interviewed a few times, and he's actually 
He sounds like the kind of guy that would do that. Yeah, we're going to see if it'll take being tore up by some animal you would never, ever encounter in real life. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so, so should we get to the picks? Sure. I, I guess this show has kind of been all picks. It's but... a giant pick show. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, Joe, do you want to start us off with the picks? Sure. So I pick, I, I'm going to pick that orgasm site, even though I have never used it because I'm not really that much into eclectic music, but I do like Paul Irish. And I respect him, and so I'm going to pick his site, Orgasm. It's orgasm.us. I put, it'll be in the show notes. And then I'm going to pick uh, MLS Live. It's a service uh, over at, you can find at MLS Soccer. And basically, what's really cool about it is it shows all of the soccer games that uh, happen in the U.S. and the um, Major League Soccer every week. And you can watch basically a condensed, like, 10, 12-minute version of the game, uh, of every game. And they do that every week for every game, and it's really awesome. It costs like 50, 60 bucks a year, although we're partway into the year, so there might be a discount. But it's just a great way to watch awesome soccer and have it condensed down into um, you know, a much shorter time format so you can watch more games and makes the games more exciting. So I'm going to pick that. And then the last pick is going to be the Michael J. Fox show. I saw a preview uh, ad for this, and I was so excited because I love Family Ties. Uh, I loved Alex P. Keaton, and uh, when he was when Michael J. Fox did other stuff, I was really excited. But he's gonna he's gonna be back in on the air in a new sitcom this fall called The Michael J. Fox Show, where he plays a newscaster who developed Parkinson's and left newscasting, and then decided to go back to work. And so he's basically playing himself. And the previews make it look freaking awesome. So go Google a preview and watch it. I'm really excited for that coming out this fall. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? I forgot what I was going to pick. I'll try to remember. <laughs> was it a blue Nobel bag? Well, I already kind of picked that in the show, you know. Yeah. You should pick it twice. Three times. I picked my nose. AJ's uh, pick is uh, mem- memory uh, memory exercises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Merrick, what are your picks? So I have one pick, and I work for a business intelligence company. And they sell intelligence? We d- yeah, that's our goal, really, is to just... No, we're not Google. Um, <laughs> but, but we do a lot of visualization and talk about understanding data. And there's this video from Brett Victor, uh, the guy that did that, that interactive ID editor kind of rehash, rethink video a while back. And this guy just has such an uh, ability to think abstractly and creatively. And he's basically talking about merging the freedom and the flexibility of drawing by hand with the dynamicity of, you know, using code. Uh, and he, he built a little tool to try and approve of concept, if you will, just a starting place. Anyways, the video is very inspiring. And for someone like me who, who tries to work on these kinds of problems, you know, as part of my job, as my, it's what I do, it was totally enlightening and inspiring to see someone think so differently about the subject. Huh. Cool. Awesome. All right. AJ, did you think of your pick? No, I, it never came back to me. I'm okay. sorry, bro. That's okay. All right. Well, I'm going to do a couple of picks then. Um, the first one is something that actually does fit in with this episode that I didn't even think about. And it's this Rabbit Mini Portable Stand for iPhone. And really what it is is it's just two pieces of uh, plastic with some uh, rubber on them so that your iPhone doesn't slide off real, real easily. 
it was like 10 bucks on Amazon and totally worth it. And what it is, is it's really just a convenient place for me to put my iPhone when I am sitting at my desk. And then when I'm playing podcasts or music or whatever, you know, I can just plug it in, set it on this thing and uh, hook it up with my Bluetooth um, Blue Sync OR, which I didn't put a link in the chat yet. And uh, it, it's really, really handy. The other pick that I have is uh, a pick that uh, something that I've been using off and on for a while. It's um, I really like the Pragmatic Programmers books um, and just the way that they do things over there. They basically will give you uh, DRM-free copies of all of the books that you buy from them. And so whenever I get it emailed to me, I can get it in uh, PDF, EPUB, or Mobi. And so basically that's uh, if I want it in PDF or I can play it on like uh, the Apple devices or the um, the Kindle. And it's, it's really super. And uh, anyway, and I, I love a lot of the books that they put out. So um, I highly recommend you go check them out. They're at pragprog.com. So AJ, did you remember? I did. I remembered. So I was going to pick Raspberry Pi because... You know, there's a lot of these small boards, but Raspberry Pi somehow just managed to build an awesome community and put things together in a really simple way. Like it's, it's probably the least difficult platform out of the, the embedded Linux or ARM Linux, I guess, because embedded weenies don't like it when you maybe call something that's this powerful and capable embedded, but, um, the ARM, of the ARM Linux boards, I think Raspberry Pi is probably the the easiest to get started with, the most straightforward. Perhaps followed closely second by Panda Board, and then there's the Lenovo or Lenovo <laughs> Lenaro project that uh, is kind of really helping drive all of that community as well. So yeah, I'm kind of picking those three things, but Raspberry Pi most of all because it's just so daggone simple. Love it. Nice. All right. Well, that was an awesome episode, guys. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, definitely some things that I'm going to go try out. So, Yeah, that was fun. All right. So I think we actually have a guest next week. Yeah, we're going to have Juha Pahanen and Joe Florini talking about reactive functional programming in JavaScript. So it should be really cool. I'm, I'm really excited about it. That sounds awesome. All right, well, we'll wrap the show up. Don't forget to go and contribute to the Indiegogo campaign for devchat.tv. And uh, we'll catch you all next week.